Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime. LGBT Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred six point five FM Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM Riverside. And one hundred five zero AM Palm Springs. Quiet, numbskulls! I'm broadcasting. You are back in the house of mystery. <laughs> Am I alone again? Are you sleeping again? I'm, I'm taking a nap. I'm sorry, Al. Well, I, I saw all that. I oh, see, see all that kung fu stuff you were doing yeah. on, on Facebook. Like what? In the, I mean, trying to be manly or something? Like what's going on? I'm trying, man. Oh, holy cow! I mean, you see all the comments. Uh, you know, my all these people were impressed. I know they they were impressed by you know just. Uh, just well, small you could even do a whole twirl around there and not fall down. <laughs> Uh, it's like I thought it was Steven Seagal for a moment. Yes. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was like, he making a comeback, mm-hmm. you know. But then, you know, oh. then I realized it was Queen Latifah. <laughs> <laughs> they just close in on the fists, you know, and the foot. That's it. That's you it. Know. That's all they do for me. It's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's, that's all it takes nowadays. You know, we have... <laughs> We have the technology, like $6 million man. Absolutely. Well, that was great. I was pretty impressed. You know, I, I, I had to take a nap after that. I'm sure you did. Holy cow. I realized how old I was. Holy cow. <laughs> anyway. Well, in the house. Who have we got in the house today? We've got something pretty exciting. Um, let's see. Uh, we've got an author and a lawyer. Uh-oh. So we've got to behave ourselves. Get sued yes. here. Uh, so, Robin Geigel, thank you for being here. Thank you. Oh, Al, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We'll see if you say that at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I will. <laughs> so, Robin, now, um, 
Wow. So your new book, uh, By Way of Sorrow. Now, this is an Aaron McCabe legal thriller. Uh, there's a lot of parts to this book to talk about. Um, first of all, um, that's a unique name. I kind of, I really like the name of the book, the title, By Way of Sorrow. So it, it, is that significant for you? Yes, um, and I will openly confess that I stole it from one of my favorite songs, a song by, by, by Way of Sorrow, which was written by Julie Miller. Uh, the version that I really like was done by three singer-songwriters who perform under the name Cry, Cry, Cry. But the song truly spoke to me. It's about getting to a place of acceptance and, and joy, but you go through sorrow to get there. So that's what um, spoke to me. Well, that's interesting. Um, so, so obviously, there's there's a there's a lot more to the book than just the the legal thriller or the story involved. This, this has a lot deeper of a meaning then. Yes, it, it's it's a legal thriller, and, and that's you know that's the purpose. I want everybody to to read it and, and enjoy the thrill part of it. But it's a story with two transgender women who are the main protagonist in, in the story, Erin McCabe, who is the lawyer, and her client, Cherise Barnes. And so it's my hope that in addition to writing a, a really interesting and exciting legal thriller, that as people read it, they will get a greater understanding of what it's like and what it means to be transgender. Well, now that's interesting. Now, do, do, now getting this book published, is it is it an uphill climb when you when you have um, your main um, characters, let's say, or the main people in your story uh, being transgender? Is that is that sort of a harder thing to sell to a publisher? Al, the, the honest answer is, is I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, by way of sorrow is my debut novel in terms of being published. I had written an earlier novel um, that I finished probably in 2014. We got an agent. We started trying to sell it. It also had a transgender main character, and that book didn't sell. But I don't want to blame it on the fact that it had, you know, a transgender character as the main protagonist. I just don't think it was as compelling a story as, as it could have been. You know, I look back on it now and I actually say, thank God it didn't sell because it's, it's not as good a book as By Way of Sorrow is, or at least, you know, as I view it. And I guess in that sense, you know, I wrote By Way of Sorrow, um, got it to my agent and within three months it was acquired by Kensington. So, it wasn't like I had a tough slog trying to, to sell by way of sorrow. So that's why maybe I'm not the best judge of what it's like for other authors in terms of trying to get a book published with a transgender character. No, but, but it's important because you, you've done it. So, um, and, and that's good to hear your story. Um, it's an Aaron McCabe legal thriller. So who is... Aaron McCabe, uh, and, and how would you describe Aaron to, to the listeners? Aaron McCabe is a 35-year-old transgender woman who is a criminal defense attorney, and she is partners in a law firm with a, a gentleman by the name of Dwayne Swisher, 
who is a African-American former FBI agent. And Aaron had, Aaron had transitioned three years prior to this story starting. So it's not a book about Aaron transitioning. It's not a story about, you know, what someone goes through when they go through the gender confirmation process. But it's a story of, of two women who are on the other side of having transitioned and what their lives are like, both the good, the bad, and the ugly in terms of the way they're treated and, and the issues that they have to deal with. But Erin is a very um, self-assured, um, aggressive lawyer uh, who has, I like to think, a good sense of humor and um, is a good lawyer. And, and that's interesting because you, you've been, you've had a legal career yourself. So, um, you know, a lot of authors we talk to, especially in the, uh, fiction categories, um, put a lot of themselves into a character. Um, is there a lot of you in Aaron? The answer is, <laughs> this is going to sound like a very lawyerly answer. The answer is yes or no. Um, as I said earlier, I had written a prior novel with a, a transgender uh, protagonist. And I think part of the problem with that book was that it was so much me that it almost didn't feel authentic. The, the, the person, even though, you know, I had poured my heart and soul into it, didn't come across as a, as a real character. Uh, so when I started writing By Way of Sorrow, you know, I fell back on the old, old trope, write what you know. So I am an attorney. I've done a lot of criminal defense work. I am a transgender woman. So I created a character who is a, you know, transgender woman who's a criminal defense attorney. But I also wanted her to be decidedly not me. So she's 35 years old. Um, I'm not. I'm much older than that. I'm almost double that. Um, and um, she's a very attractive woman who winds up in a relationship with a man. And that's not me. But I felt like I could tell Aaron's story in terms of what I did know about being a criminal defense lawyer, about being a trans woman. So there's parts of me that are in Aaron. Um, and, you know, I think some people who know me well, sometimes when they read the book, they say, oh, I could hear your voice when when I was reading, you know, Aaron say something. But then there's other parts of, of Aaron that are decidedly not me. I'm going to ask you something, but before I get into that, what made you decide to write a book um, like this and and a legal thriller? Um, and what what was the initiative or what was the uh, catalyst to make you actually write and put it out there to be published? So I... I've always wanted to write. I think um, I started my first novel probably 40 years ago, right after I got out of law school. It was, you know, I, I had not transitioned at that point. I, I was, you know, writing a, a novel that, that I envisioned as the, the catch-22 of the legal profession at the time. But, you know, a legal career, uh, three children, writer's block, uh, all of those things got in the way of that novel ever being completed. And so it's set in a, in a briefcase somewhere gathering dust. And every once in a while, I take it out and look at it. And, you know, eventually when computers came along, you know, I, I put it on a word processor, but never finished it. 
fast forward to 2011 or so, um, I have a son, Colin Geigel, who is also a, a published author, and he got me um, into doing NaNoWriMo. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but, it, you know, write a novel in, in the month of November. And we both agreed to try to do it. And so that got me writing again. It, it kind of got the juices flowing, so to speak. And I, I didn't complete NaNoWriMo, but he did. And, and ultimately, he took that and, and did work it into a novel that was published in 2016 called The Ferryman Institute. And I took what I was working on, and that eventually became the novel that didn't sell. But again, just, you know, I was living on my own at the time. You know, my kids were all grown. Uh, and and I love to write. It's, it's something that I do for enjoyment. I, I know a lot of authors, you know, kind of cringe when I say that. But, you know, it's for me, it's fun. And so I don't watch a lot of television. I read and I write. And so once I got back into it, I found that I really enjoyed it. And so when the first book didn't sell, um, I decided, you know, there were elements of a thriller in the book, first book that, that was never published. And I decided, you know, let's turn this one into a legal thriller. Um, and, and, you know, kind of surprisingly, the catalyst for it was um, To Kill a Mockingbird. And, and again, I don't want to compare my book in any way to Kill, to kill a Mockingbird, but I had reread that, and I was kind of struck by the fact that so much of, of To Kill a Mockingbird um, I had forgotten was a courtroom drama. And the, the courtroom drama revolves around Tom Robinson, a, a young African-American man in the, in the 30s, accused of molesting a, a white woman. And I was just fascinated by what was Tom thinking I mean, what was go going through Tom's head as, as, as this trial was going on? But, of course, that story is told all through the point of view of scouts, so we never get in Tom's head. And so I wanted to write a thriller where we could get into the, to the heads of, of not only the lawyer, but the woman accused of the crime. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So you've... Um you put a lot of yourself into the book and you, and so you kind of, um, it's sort of a little bit of, I know you have to be pretty brave. Um, when you put some of your own personal feelings and thoughts into a character or characters and, and in a story, um, how do you feel about putting yourself out there like that, uh, in such a social media world? I didn't think too much about it. I mean, one of the things that I, that I do in addition to writing and in addition to being a full-time lawyer is, is I do a lot of speaking and, and teaching on LGBTQ plus issues and in particular, you know, transgender issues and, and the legal ramifications. So I do a lot of public speaking and whenever I do that, I'm putting myself out there because one of the things that I like to do is use myself as, as a human face because so many people don't know someone who's transgender. I give them the opportunity to, to learn about some of the issues through me. So I guess in a way I'm kind of used to putting myself out there. And yes, this is different because you're right. You know, if I speak to, you know, the New Jersey State Police, Nobody's going to go online and start, you know, throwing all kinds of comments around about me and things like that. 
But I guess I'm knocking on wood as I say this. I've been really lucky that the, you know, the reactions to By Way of Sorrow have been very positive and, and, you know, I haven't been attacked in any way. I, I hope that doesn't change as a result of this show, but, um, <laughs> give it time. <laughs> um, but in that sense, Al, you know, I'm kind of used to putting myself out there. Now, is it hard to work as an attorney while writing a legal thriller? And I ask that because we've had some writers in the intelligence community who couldn't, uh, you know, it's a little bit different, but they couldn't write spy fiction while they were working for an intelligence agency. And, you know, uh, I was also wondering, is does it feel like you're always at work? <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I sometimes put in my bio is, you know, I, I practice law by day and I write by night. Unfortunately, I have a very boring so- social life, which is true. But as I said, you know, for me, writing isn't work. Uh, it's something, you know, I'll come home from when we used to go to the office and, and now we're starting to get back to going to the office, um, or go to the, to the courthouse. I'd come home. I'd, you know, go for a walk or a run or, or whatever, kind of cleanse the palate, come back, shower, have dinner, and then sit down and write. And, you know, I'm like somebody who's, for example, if I worked for a prosecutor's office or if I worked for the courts, there might be some restrictions on me because of the, the job where, you know, you can't reveal certain things. But fortunately, I'm an attorney in private practice, and the only ones I have to keep happy are, are my partners and my clients. And so, you know, there were no restrictions. Obviously, I made sure that the story I told didn't bear resemblance to any of the clients I've ever represented. The the characters don't bear any resemblance to, to any people that I know or I've ever dealt with. So made sure that it was really fictional. But other than that, Dave, there there really were no other restrictions on me other than to tell a good story and, and you know, make it compelling for the audience. Okay, you can tell us the truth. Now, what, what client did you talk about and what did they do? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Nobody, we won't tell anybody, really. No, no. Yeah. It'll just be our secret, right? It'll be our secret. I won't say a word, really. There you go. Oh. No, it, it, it's pretty – but how is it, if I can ask, um, because in, in the story um, you've got – a lawyer who's transgender, as well as that's part of who you are in your real life. How is it in real life? And does it come across that way in this book? Was that an important thing for you to display for readers is is to to what it's really like in that position? So I will always tell everyone that I have had a very privileged life in many ways. And when I transitioned, I was already into my 50s with an established legal career, uh, a family, uh, a family that, you know, accepted me for who I was. And so I didn't face a lot of the challenges that many transgender people do. But that said, I did lose a lot of friends. I did lose some clients. So those those were things that I experienced, and even if they're not things that, you know, are reflected directly in the book, they're things that you can translate and put into a character in terms of the way that feels and, and how it impacts you. And 
The second part is, you know, Sharice is a young transgender woman of color. And even though that's not my journey, and I was always very careful to make sure that Sharice was authentic as possible, Sharice faced problems that Erin didn't. Erin, in many ways, is more like me in that she's white. She had a legal career. She didn't lose her legal career. And though she experienced problems with her family, her mother was accepting, her law partner was accepting. Um, you know, there were people in her life that didn't leave her, that didn't desert her. Whereas Sharice faced a much more challenging situation where she was thrown out of her home or, or forced to leave her home when she was 15 and live on the streets. And, and that's true for so many transgender people who are rejected. So I wanted to have, you know, both worlds reflected there. You know, it's, it was in some respects easier for Erin, but she still had a lot of things that she had to deal with in terms of her family, people still not being comfortable with who she was. And then I wanted to reflect what it was like for somebody like Sharice, who truly lost the support system that is important to all of us as human beings. She lost her family. She, she was, you know, was living on the streets and what that is like for transgender people. So I, I wanted to try to get that mix, uh, and show the, the full range of, of, you know, the experience that, that some trans people have. How is it, how is it in the legal community itself? Do you find that, uh, other lawyers or, or judges or people in the community itself, are they, do they treat, treat you differently or do you, do you feel like you're um, shied away about somewhat or how, how, does, how is your response to the legal community? So I transitioned 12 years ago and I will tell you that I was incredibly pleasantly surprised by how well I was accepted. At the time I transitioned, I was the managing partner, meaning the boss, of a 19-lawyer law firm. So I had to come out to, you know, not only my partners in that law firm, but the, the other lawyers and, and, and staff. And then I had to come out to clients and I had to come out to judges and adversaries. And, and I will say, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like there were no bumps in the road. There were. But for the most part, the, the legal community, the judges, the, the lawyers who were, who were my adversaries were incredibly kind and accepting. Um, and, and I always remember there was, there was a case that I was involved in at the time. And, um, you know, it was a hard fought case. We were going back and forth and I took time off that I was out of the office for about a month while I went through the gender confirmation process. And one of the lawyers in the case took the time to write me a handwritten note, you know, wishing me well and, and hoping that everything, you know, turned out okay and, and all those nice things. And then ended by saying, but when you come back, nothing's going to change. We're still going to go at it. And that's all I wanted. Um, and it, it, it made me feel, you know, just incredibly, um, proud uh, of, of some of the people in the legal community. And so again, I, I think in many respects, I was spared some of the things that other trans people have to go through. And, and, you know, 
I don't necessarily know why. Maybe I was fortunate. Maybe I had the respect of people. I don't know. But, you know, it, it, you know, it wasn't without bumps. As I said, I did lose clients. There were lawyers who had referred cases to me that stopped referring cases to me. But for the most part, on the whole, I would say it was a tremendously positive experience. Well, that's good. You know, it, 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 it said something about the people you chose to work with, right? Rather than, you know, it wasn't Rudy Giuliani or anybody like that. So. <laughs> you know, because that could have been a little rougher, right? That would have been, you know. Yeah. No, I, I'm not sure that I would have survived for you know, <laughs> almost, uh, I was at that firm for almost 30 years. So I don't think I would have survived six months in, in a in a firm that, uh, you know, um, even though they didn't know I was transgender, just in terms of their values and, and, and the way they interacted with the world, uh, you know, mm. um, I was with good people. So this, 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 this is the first book you say of this, of this series. So um, did you plot out several books in your mind ahead of time? Did you sort of outline what you wanted to do with Aaron and where you wanted this character to go and how many books? Or is this just kind of... Um, Go do it as you go type thing. It's a, again a combination of both. So I, I, I know, boy, you're going to get off. And, oh, she's such a lawyer. She um, <laughs> a little bit of both. Um, so by way of sorrow was was really by the seat of the pants. Um, and uh, you know, I I had the idea of the story. I had the two main characters. Um, but when I go back and look at early drafts of, of the story, it's interesting how it, it changed over time. So, uh, you know, in the vernacular, it was definitely a pantser. Um, you know, I just, I, the characters kind of took over and it went where it went. But when um, Kensington bought By Way of Sorrow, they signed me to a two-book deal. And so I didn't have two books. Uh, so the way it works um, you know, in the industry is, okay, book one is done and we have it in the queue. It's going to get published. Now write a synopsis of book two. So for book two, Survivor's Guilt, which comes out in January of 2022, I had to do exactly what you said. I had to plot it out. I had to come up with the story ahead of time and, you know, send it off to my editor and say, John, here it is. What do you Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You think, and fortunately, he liked it and approved it. Survivor's guilt is, is, you know, done and, and in the process. Um, I signed to a two book deal, uh, depending on how book one, two do, maybe there'll be a book three, maybe there won't be. So, uh, I have started book three. Um, and again, like, uh, book two, uh, I assume at some point I'm going to have to do a synopsis if I want somebody to buy it. So, uh, there, it will be plotted out, but, I don't have, you know, books four and five already, you know, thought through and saying, okay, as soon as somebody buys three and I get it written, I'm going to do four. It's um, pretty much take it one step at a time. I have, uh, I've had a character uh, in an old novel, uh, an older novel, you know, just uh, kind of uh, insert himself (laughs) into, into a newer book. And uh, which surprised me. I'm just wondering if, uh, through through the writing that you've done, have you ever had a character that's done anything to surprise you? Um, I'm not sure if I, I I follow the question correctly, Dave. So if I get it wrong, I apologize and, and come back and, and and tell me I got it wrong. Um, <laughs> but it, it's interesting. Book three, you know, when I when I wrote Survivor's Guilt, which is book two. It's it's not a continuation of By Way of Sorrow. Okay. So Aaron is there, Dwayne is there, you know, the, the boyfriend is there, Aaron's boyfriend is there, Aaron's mom is there, family and stuff like that. They're all there. But none of the other characters are there. It's a totally different story. What's kind of interesting is so many people kind of commented on the fact that, you know, the way By Way of Sorrow ends, they felt a little unsatisfied. So what I'm doing with book three, or at least right now toying with, is kind doing more of a sequel to By Way of Sorrow and having some of the same characters come back into the story. Of course, I have to be, it's a challenging process because you can't give spoilers or by way of sorrow, because, you know, somebody might come to, if there ever is a book three, somebody might come to it and read it and say, oh, this is really interesting. Some of these characters in book, are in book one. Let me go back and read it. So you don't want to basically give away what happens in, in by way of sorrow, but yet have some of the same characters in a, a continuation. So I'm not sure if that's what you were asking, Dave, and if I got it wrong, oh, I apologize. That's yeah, that's very interesting. Um. Well, just so. make book three a dream. It was all a dream, <laughs> right? 
When in doubt, it's a dream. Then you can start over. You can have them do whatever you, you know, decide to change my mind. That's what I do. I'm going to show my age with the old Bob Newhart show, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And only a few of us remember that. So, (laughs) well, where do your characters come from then? Where do you get your characters? I mean, of course, your main character we've talked about, some of the main ones, but all of the accessory characters or the people that kind of add to the story, um, do you create their personalities just out of your mind or do you just sort of see people in our restaurant or do you see someone in, in a shopping mall and kind of take that personality or where, where does it come from for you? In terms of characters like Dwayne Swisher, who is Aaron's partner, uh, law partner, uh, and Mark Simpson, who is her boyfriend, you know, they're, they're people that I kind of know that fit those general descriptions and of course, knowing who Erin is, I know the type of person that she'd want to be in a partnership with in, in both the legal sense and, and in the emotional sense. So you craft the characters that would, you know, if she's going to date somebody, she's going to date somebody who kind of can deal with the issue that, you know, their girlfriend is, is a transgender woman. Um, and the same thing in terms of a law partner. And, and, you know, you get to play with those little things in the story, but the the characters, they're going to fit a certain type because of, of who Aaron is. Um, as, as you had mentioned earlier, Al, it's not going to be, you know, Rudy Giuliani that, you know, she's in a law partnership with. Um, so <laughs> that. I, I will say that the, the one character that is, is truly drawn on, on somebody I, I, I love is Hank McCabe, Aaron's mom. And, Peg is based loosely on, on my own mom, who, you know, when I came out, she struggled with, you know, her child being transgender. It's not what she wanted. Um, you know, she, she, you know, she was a, a very religious woman um, and, and you know, uh, fought me kind of tooth and nail in the beginning. But before I, I you know, went through my transition, you know, we had dinner together, and she said, I don't understand this. I don't want this. I, I wish you wouldn't do this, but you're my child, and I will always love you. And she did. And so Peg McCabe is, is an homage to my mom. Um, unfortunately, my mom passed away before By Way of Sorrow was published. But, you know, she did know it was coming. You know, she... She was uh, feisty right till the end. And uh, so, you know, Peg McCabe is the closest to a, a, you know, person in my own life. And, the, and then the other characters, you know, the, the, the senator and, the, you know, the other people that, that are around there. You know, you, you, I live in New Jersey. You know, <laughs> political corruption is kind of well known in, in New Jersey. So you... You take bits and pieces of things and you and you craft them onto one character, but you try to make the character three dimensional because you don't want to have comic book villains. You want to have real people with real motivations, and and you want the reader to understand what those motivations are, even if they don't agree with them. Uh, so again, and you know, in terms of prosecutors and things like that, you know, a, an amalgamation of people that I've come in contact with over a 43-year legal career. Oh, it's interesting. So 
after finishing this book and, and getting it published, how do you think it's changed you? Other than I know in my obituary there will be a line <laughs> that she was a published author, I'm not really sure that it has. I mean, it's not like, I, I mean, I, I don't want to denigrate the House of Mystery in any way, but it, I mean, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, I'm in demand and, you know, my life has changed and, and you know, people are stopping me on the street and asking for my autograph. Uh, sales have been okay, but, you know, I'm not on any bestseller list and don't expect to be at this point. So, you know, I still practice law full time. I, I still write at night and I don't know that my life has changed that much. Well, I, I sort of was, was looking more toward, um, after you've actually gone through the emotions and, and the part of writing and, and getting it out there and you look back at it now, um, do you think you've come out of it the other side kind of differently than you were when you started writing? In the sense that if you had told me three years ago, Robin, you're going to write a book that is going to get published and is going to be reviewed in the New York Times, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, you know, so in that sense, uh, it's been an absolute joy. And, and I don't want to diminish that joy in any way or, or, or make it sound like I am not just absolutely thrilled with, with how things have gone. I guess it's also been, in my case, tempered somewhat because My Way of Sorrow was originally supposed to come out in June of 2020. And then we had this little thing called the pandemic that delayed publication until March of, of 2021. So, you know, there was all that excitement. There was all the, the ramping up that comes with having a debut novel and, and you know, trying to line up appearances at, at you know, book fairs and, and book stores and everything else. And then everything just closed down. And, you know, for, for nine months, uh, I sat out there with, you know, working on book two with, with book one in, in limbo. So I think that, you know, maybe I shaped my experience a little bit in that, you know, the, the joy, the excitement and everything. Again, I don't want to diminish it in any way because when it came out in March of, of, of this year, it was thrilling. It was unbelievable, but it, it, it maybe was a, a, a little bit tempered by the fact that I couldn't do, you know, I, I, I couldn't do a lot of the things that, first-time authors get to experience in terms of going to bookstores and doing book signings and all those kinds of things. So, again, I don't know if that answered it, Al. If it didn't, I apologize. Well, I'm wondering, too, um, you know, there are a lot of listeners, I'm sure, who would like to write a novel. They have busy, full lives. And uh, I just wonder, you know, if if you have any advice uh, for for the, uh, uh, you know, beginning writers out there. I would say that it's it's a process. You know, I started, I told you, I started writing the first novel 40 years ago. So, But I don't count that one because nothing ever happened with that. Mm. But then I did complete a manuscript and I did get an agent. So already I've been a lot more fortunate than, than many people. But then you start trying to sell it and you see rejection after rejection after rejection. And, and the comments coming back and you're, you're, you're wondering like, oh, man, you know, do I know? 
do I have any clue what I'm doing? Uh, you know, nobody likes this book or, or they, you know, one rejection I'll say, the characters aren't, you know, authentic enough. The other one will say, oh, the characters are, are authentic, but I didn't like the story. And so, you know, you get tossed back and forth in terms of all those things. Mm. And then, again, you know, I, I wrote, you know, By Way of Sorrow and, um, you know, book one, Never Soul. And I wrote By Way of Sorrow and, you know, it got its fair share of rejections before Kensington purchased it. And so my advice to people would be, number one, in terms of that book that I started 40 years ago, never give up on your dream. It's always possible because here I am 40 years later mm. with a published novel. And the second part is don't view all those no's that you get from, you know, I don't know how many no's I got when I was querying the first book from agents and then no's from publishers. Don't take those as failures. It's all part of the process. And it's, and it's a learning experience. I think By Way of Sorrow is a better book because I experienced the rejections that went with the first novel. And rather than saying, I can't write, I said, I have to do a better job. I have to create a better book. And so, again, it, the advice I would give to, to any unpublished writer is don't give up. Don't take those rejections as failures take them as learning experiences and keep at it. If it could happen for me, it can happen for you. That's right. Uh, but you know, the, the people that reject you, you go, you hunt yes. them down. <laughs> and exactly. Do not take that from anybody. <laughs> that, that's my next novel. That's my next novel. Al. That's right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I write true crime, so I'll tell you, they reject me. I'm going after them and writing a book about them. They'll know better next time. You know, that's, you know. So, so let's talk about the day in the life of Robin. So, um, what's it like, um, for you in your writing process? Like, so you sort of say you kind of, you know, work in the day and write at night and stuff. Um, do you, do you, like pre-plan certain times, like say I'm going to write two hours today, or do you put kind of things on yourself, like I, I need to have a thousand words written or three thousand or, or whatever, or do you set time aside? Do you have any special techniques do you, to doing your writing? I don't have any special techniques, and I don't pigeon myself, pigeonhole myself into saying. I have to sit down and, and write from 8 o'clock tonight to 11 o'clock, and I need to get, you know, 500 words on the page. And if I don't, you know, my day has been a disaster. Because I have a full-time legal career, my schedule is often in flux. Um, you know, all of a sudden I have a deposition that I have to prepare for. And even if I thought, oh, it'll be nice to come home and write tonight. No, I, I have to review documents and I have to be ready for tomorrow to take somebody's deposition. So I have to have a lot of flexibility, not only in terms of my schedule, but in terms of my own psyche, in terms of how I plan to write. So you know, there might be times when I'll look at my schedule and I'll say, oh, you know, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, you know, I, I kind of have a break. So when I come home, I'll, I'll have some writing time. But again, I don't put the pressure on myself 
to to make sure that I get a certain number of words on the page. I, you know, I try to stick with it, but I will be the first to admit that I'm easily distracted and, you know, I can go off on different tangents. And then there's other times like this weekend, I, I started in earnest on, on book three and I wrote 5,000 words. I don't know if any of them are in English, but I, I wrote 5,000 words. And, and so when I get in a zone, I try to stay there and I try to stay in that zone and, and keep my, my day and, and focus as much as possible. You know, it, it was, you know, at, at one point, you know, my son called me Sunday morning and said, Hey, can you come over? And, and I said, is it okay if I come over later in the day? Cause I'm in the zone right now. And he's a writer. So he understood. And he said, yeah, no, later is fine. So, you know, you try to make sure that when, or at least I try to make sure that when, when it's coming to me that I milk it for everything that I can, because I don't know when I'm going to get back to it again. Um, you know, I have, you know, a, a deposition tomorrow. Um, and so I'm not going to get off our, our talk tonight and, and, and start writing. I'm going to start looking at, at what I have to do tomorrow. Now, tomorrow night, you know, I'm looking at it and saying, well, you know, tomorrow might be a good writing night. So I, I'm, you know, with the day job that I have, it, it, you know, writing still takes a back seat. Even, you know, sometimes I, I wish it didn't, but it, it has to. But that said, it's an important back seat. And, and when I, when I get there and, and things are working right, I try to take full advantage of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You might as well, you know, uh, go with it, you know. Uh, so now, how do you um, want people to find you? Do you give out your street address, phone number, or do you have a website or or something like that? What's the best play, place for people to find out more about you and your writing? Um, they can go to robingoggle.com, uh, which is my website, which has information on my books and, and you know, podcasts that I've done and reviews and, and articles and things of that nature. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Robin Geigel. Um, I'm probably the only living human being that's not on Facebook, but I'm not. Uh, so they can't find me there. Uh, and, you know, the, the two places are basically the, the website and, and Twitter. Um, I, I have an Instagram account, but, you know, I will confess I'm old. It's, it's just not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that way all the time. That's you know. <laughs> well, we'll have everything linked up to our site as well, so people listening can find you and uh, hopefully say something nice. Um, I, I wonder. So you know, with this pandemic and everything, the last couple of years, when when there's a lot of tension in your life, and and you being a lawyer too, so when things are stressful, um, do you find that that gets into your writing? Do you think that somehow when things around you are kind of, you know, uh, feel like they're out of control or a little bit turmoil, do you think that seeps in to the tone of your writing? I guess I was fairly fortunate during the pandemic and, and continuing on because unfortunately the pandemic is continuing on in that I do live alone. Uh, and, you know, when we shut the office down in March of 2020, you know, the courts went remote, people doing depositions went remote, everything 
really transitioned fairly well. So, you know, in that sense, it, it wasn't as stressful for me as for, you know, some other people in my office who have young kids who, you know, uh, you know, I, I have a, a son and a daughter who are teachers, and I have a daughter-in-law who's a principal. Um, you know, the stress in their lives in terms of how and, and what they were expected to do was so much different from mine. So, again, I think I was fortunate in that we were able to transition very quickly to, you know, working remotely and, and, and going to the court remotely and doing depositions remotely. So in that sense, you know, there wasn't the stress that so many other people had in other professions. And, and I think primarily of, of people in healthcare, teachers, um, you know, essential workers, you know, they had a lot of stress in their lives. I was fortunate. I could hold up in my condo, be safe. Um, and, and, and still work. And so, and, and I guess also just being, you know, being a writer, the, the solitude, I'm okay with it. it it's not something that was terribly stressful for me. I, as, you know, some of us joke, you know, we didn't have to make up excuses not to see people, you know, here it was, you know, Hey, sorry, we can't see each other. There's a pandemic. Uh, so it afforded me actually more time to write because there were no other commitments really other than the, the day job that I had to worry about. And it, it was awful not seeing my family, not seeing my grandkids and, and not, being, you know, with my mom, you know, as much as I, I would have liked to have been. Um, but those were not really as stressful as it was for other people. So, again, I, I think I was very fortunate, and, and I always try to count my blessings. Mm, yeah, yeah, you have to. Um, um, so who are your influences? Oh, boy, uh, that that's always a tough question. Uh so I, I guess, you know, probably one of the big ones would be Scott Terrell. Uh, you know, when, when he burst through however many years ago with presumed innocence, um, that, you know, the, the way he wrote, the, the way he took parts of his own life and, 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 you know, mixed that into a, to the story, um, you know, was for me fascinating. Um, but there, there's so many people, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm shamelessly plugging my own son, but, you know, he has been a tremendous influence on me in terms of we write very differently, but um, just, um, you know, watching him go through the process ahead of me um, has been enlightening in that sense. Um, in terms of other authors, um, you know, the, some of the classic you know, mystery writers, Agatha Christie, Sue Grafton, uh, you know, you know, just people who I grew up reading and, and really enjoying, um, you know, have, have certainly, I think, seeped into my sub subconscious, if not my conscious in terms of, of the way I write. You forgot to mention the host. <laughs> <laughs> I was saving you for last. Now you jumped in. You're supposed to say, and of course, your books are an incredible influence on me. I couldn't get through the day. 
Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I don't believe it now. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying it now. I'm a lawyer. You can't believe anything I say. <laughs> well, this is true, right? That's what they say, you know. You should have your own court show, too, next. You know, get on there and start doing TV. Court TV, you know. Uh, you ever thought about writing to a crime or, or something like that? No, I, I really haven't. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me about, you know, did I ever think about writing a memoir? And, and the answer is no. Um, I would never write a, a memoir. Number one, I don't think my life is that interesting. And number two, um, a memoir is always one person's point of view, and I never think it's fair to everybody else in, in someone's life. But true crime, no. I, I, I enjoy reading true crime, Al, especially your books. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but no, I I don't I, you know I I have never thought about doing anything nonfiction. Well, well, yeah, it's it's it. Well, it's it's an interesting kind of thing, you know. Um, well, it's been really good. Um, so what's next? Book three, I guess, and um, and keep on going with your legal career and. Uh, We'll see what's next. So, um, wow, it's been it's been very interesting. I really appreciate you being on. And uh, uh, the book, of course, we're talking about is By Way of Sorrow, and it's an Aaron McCabe legal thriller. And our guest has been the author, Robin Geigel. Thank you for being here. Al, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Robin. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.